This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. It's a great way to start the day by worshiping God together with church family. Amen? Amen. Well, it was awesome last week being able to hang out with everybody at the church picnic. Um, man, that was really cool. Thank you for everybody who showed up and helped out with that also because, man, that was a lot of work put into a church picnic. I know some of you made dishes that you brought, and uh, man, everything was just so great. We had a lot of fun. We had a great uh, showing for our 30-year anniversary. We didn't get the message recorded, so if you missed it, you just had to have been there. So if you missed it, sorry, we didn't get that recorded for online. But uh, we are kicking off a brand new series this morning called Kingdom Agenda. Kingdom Agenda is the new series that we're going to go through just for the next few weeks because this time of year, Lord has really just laid on my heart to share with our church and our uh, local church family here just the importance of moving forward with God's kingdom agenda. So if you are a note taker, you can write this title down, Eternal Echoes. We're going to talk about eternal echoes today. And if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and go to Judges, the sixth chapter, and you can just kind of hang out there. We'll read that in just a minute. But I think that we all kind of understand that we're created for purpose. We understand that we're created to have an impact in this world. But if we want to impact this world for the kingdom of God, then we have to be people who are living on that purpose. We have to be people who have a kingdom mindset that's on heavenly things. And what I mean by that is that we're people who are constantly asking ourselves, what impact is my life going to have today on eternity? What am I doing that's going to affect eternity, not just for myself, but for other people? For those around me, those I come in contact with, those God has graciously given me influence and an audience with. How is my life impacting my surroundings for eternity? We always look at everything and measure everything in temporal terms. We're looking at, you know, how we can uh, fill our bellies. Well, you're going to get hungry again. We're looking at, when can I take a nap? I'm tired. Well, you're going to need to sleep again because you're going to be tired again. We're looking at, how do I solve this temporary financial crisis that is just screaming at me so loud, and it seems like it's never going to go away, but eventually those things all kind of go away eventually, even though it may not seem like they do. They do eventually. We're always trying to fix the temporary. We're always trying to create ease and comfort in the temporary. But what about being kingdom-minded to where our focus is not on the temporary, but rather our focus is on the eternal, the things that are going to echo throughout eternity. So we need to be constantly asking ourselves the question, what impact will my life have on eternity? And what am I doing with the life that God has given me that's going to echo throughout eternity. So I want to ask you this question just right out of the chutes. What will you do today that will echo in eternity? What are you going to do today that will echo in eternity? And I want you to write that question down. I want you to highlight it. I want you to underline it. And I want you to think about that. Every day when you wake up, what am I going to do today that is going to echo in eternity. And I know sometimes you get these ideas that it has to be something huge. 
It has to be something grandiose. But oftentimes we'll see that through the very seemingly insignificant things in life, actually our lives can have a great impact that can continue to echo throughout eternity and bring glory to God. We're called to live with a higher purpose than just simply extending our comfort and our pleasure. Some people, they don't have a greater purpose than that. Their purpose is just to extend or uh, grow their comfort and their pleasure that they experience in this life. So they try to earn more money. That's their purpose, so they can extend their comfort and their pleasure. Or they want to buy that house so they can extend their comfort and their pleasure. Or they think that maybe they, they, they need to make sure they have enough money that when they leave that they can pass it down to their children because that brings them comfort and pleasure knowing that they will be taken care of. And so a lot of people just simply have the goal of extending their own comfort and pleasure and they live for nothing greater than that. And their lives reflect that because everything that they do is not asking the question, what is going to echo in eternity? It's asking, what's actually going to extend my pleasure and my comfort here? What's going to make things easier for me? And we live in a culture and, of, of ease. I mean, my goodness, for 1995, you can get any gadget that will solve any problem, Right? But wait, if you act now, we'll throw in two of those for the price of one. Isn't that amazing? If you call in the next 30 minutes, and it's always 1995 that's going to make your life easier and more comfortable because we all need to cut through soda cans and then slice through a ripe tomato. Every one of us have that need all over the world. It's a universal need. But we're called to live for a higher purpose than just extending our personal comfort and our personal pleasure. Amen, somebody? Let's go to the book of Judges and the sixth chapter. We're going to read a very familiar story to a lot of you, which is a story of a man by the name of Gideon. Judges chapter 6. Why don't we start in the very beginning? Judges 6, we're going to read verse 1 through 16, so that way it'll better help us to contextualize this story so you'll know kind of what's going on. Chapter 6 and verse 1. The people... The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. So because Israel did wicked in the sight of the Lord, you see that here these evil guys rushed in and God said, I'm going to give you guys over to this. And all of a sudden they're uh, hiding in caves waiting for Israel to think that they're doing well. So every time Israel gets a little glimpse of hope, here they come out of the caves and they come and rob and steal and take everything from the Israelites. You ever feel that way sometimes? You feel like, man, I'm finally getting ahead. I'm finally doing something in life, finally accomplishing something. And then somebody comes out of a stinking cave and takes what you thought was going good in your life. That's what was happening to the people of Israel with these Midianites. Verse 4, then they would encamp against them. They would devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza, and they would leave no sustenance in Israel, no sheep, no ox, no donkey, or they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come in like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste to the land that they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus saith the Lord, 
the God of Israel. I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So it's their disobedience that has gotten them into this situation. It's the fact that God said, listen, don't go back to these things. Don't be afraid of these things. Go in here and take this. But they didn't do what God told them to do. it, And now they're paying the price. But God didn't leave them hanging high and dry. Let's read verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abezerite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So now this makes a little bit more sense. Gideon is hiding in a wine press and he's threshing or he's beating wheat to try to separate the grain from the shaft, the part that's good from the part that you don't want. But he's doing it in a place that's actually in the ground. They would try to always do this on high places, high flat places that were called threshing floors because the wind would come and it would catch that light part that you don't want of the wheat when they would try to separate it. It would actually blow it away. It would blow the chaff away. But here he's doing this in a hole in the ground. That's got to be a lot more difficult, a lot more frustrating, but it makes sense why he's doing it because he's afraid because every time the Midianites see something good going on with Israel, they immediately want to come steal it. And he was afraid, so he's still in bondage. He's still in fear. He's still afraid of losing something, so he's trying to protect the wheat. Verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. That doesn't sound like a mighty man of valor to me that would be in a hole in the ground hiding from the Midianites, afraid that he's going to steal some of his wheat. But yet that's what the Lord said. O mighty man of valor. Verse 13, And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Bitter much? And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, the Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. You see, Gideon, here we find this, this introduction of this man in Scripture in a very low place, in a very afraid place, very disconnected from anything great, anything that you would think would be purposeful, where if you were going to choose anyone to help deliver the children of Israel out of the oppression of the Midianites, it sure wouldn't be the guy that's the weakest in the weakest in the weakest clan who's hiding, afraid that his wheat is going to be stolen. But yet that's the very person that God said, no, there's a greater purpose in you, and I'm going to call that purpose out. I'm calling you a mighty man of valor. Did you notice that when he began to complain to the Lord and he began to whine and say, where was the Lord at during this? Why is all this happening? That he didn't even address those issues. He just went right back to saying, this is what you're going to do. Listen, let's focus on who you are, not all of this other stuff, because God was trying to get Gideon focused on his purpose. But he was threshing that wheat in a wine press because he was afraid of what he was going to lose. When you live afraid of what 
you're going to lose, then you're only going to hang on to the things that you feel you can control. If you live your entire life afraid of losing something, then you're only going to spend time and focus on the things that you feel that you can control. And so many people live their lives like that. They want to try to control every situation and they never step out into anything that would be seen as uh, dangerous or something that would be less than self-serving because they can't control it. So therefore, sometimes people, they don't want to get connected to other people because they're afraid of what they're going to lose. They're only going to stay around the people that they're most comfortable staying around. And they never want to go talk to anyone else because they're afraid of what they're going to lose. Or it's not worth the risk. Or they've been wounded before and because they can't control the actions of other people, they've just decided it'd be better not to trust anyone and just stay with this circle of my four and no more. And these people are robbing themselves of the purpose that God has for them and they're living their entire lives actually being controlled by fear. By fear of hurt, by fear of rejection, by fear of the past. And because they're afraid, they're only going to stay in the circles where they feel they can control something or that they feel something is safe. But yet God was calling Gideon out of the wine press to do something that was very dangerous, to do something that was not safe, to do something that in his own strength he couldn't do. But God said, don't worry, I'm going to be with you. I'm the one who's calling you to do this. You have a greater purpose, you mighty man of valor. Come up out of the wine press and let's go save Israel from this oppression. You see, God is wanting to use you to do something great for His glory in this life. And it may not be delivering the Midianites, uh, delivering the Israelites out of the hand of Midian. I doubt He's going to use you to do that, right? Because I don't think Midian is oppressing Israel. Um, But God is going to use you to do something awesome. He wants to use you to affect other lives. He wants to use you in ways that are going to continue to echo in eternity. You just have to believe and trust that He is who He says He is when He begins to call you out. And hopefully today, through this message, that some of you will begin to awaken to purpose And you will begin to be called out of the insecurity. You'll begin to be called out of that fear. You'll begin to be called out of that place where you're trying to control everything. And you'll be able to be set free to live out the purpose that God has for you. You see, when you're given opportunity to cause change in a situation, what are you going to go back to immediately? Oftentimes we go back to our fear, just like Gideon did. Gideon went back to his script when... God said, here's an opportunity. I want you to step into this. This is who I've called you to be. This is how I see you. This is who you are. What did Gideon revert back to? He went back to his script. His script that he had been told before. His script that he had heard before. His script that someone else had told him. Maybe from another clan or maybe his mom and dad told him. Or maybe he had just begun to beat himself down by talking to himself this way over and over again when he would be afraid or when he would feel that he was a failure? Because what did Gideon immediately go back to? He said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm from the weakest clan. I'm actually the weakest guy in the weakest clan. I'm actually not the guy for this because don't you know who my family is? We're the weak family. We're the poor family. 
We're the, pa- we're the family that's got a history. We're the family that, 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 that's on the other side of the tracks. We're the one who, 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 who's been ostracized. We're the one who has been rejected. We're the ones who have, have, have been made fun of. We're the ones who have uh, been uh, the gossip spread all throughout the camp about our family. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know I can't do anything special? Because out of that weak family, I'm the weakest person. And that's immediately what he went back to when opportunity presented itself. So many times when God will want to open doors of opportunity for you, the first thing that we do is that we go back to all of our excuses. We go back to our script. We go back to the thing that either someone has told us or that we begin to believe about ourselves or that we have told ourselves or that we've heard from a a parent or that we've heard from a teacher or that we've heard from a family member or a friend and we just regurgitate the script all over again. We regurgitate the negativity when God is saying, here's a big wide door of something I'm wanting to do in you and through you, and here's who I'm calling you. I'm trying to put destiny and value right in front of you, and I'm trying to show you what I'm wanting to do through you, and the first thing out of our mouth is, well, don't you know who I am? When God is sitting there trying to say, don't you know who I am? And don't you know that it's not about your strength? Don't you know that it's not about your competence? It's just about your obedience? Doesn't the scripture say that obedience is better than sacrifice? Amen, somebody? God is trying to wake us up to purpose. God is trying to wake us up to live a life that will echo in eternity. One that is calling us out of our fear. One that is calling us out of self-serving pleasure and comfort. One that is calling us out of what everyone else and their mama has done said about us. And he's wanting to call us out of that and call us into the opportunity that he's setting in front of you. Because God is opening doors of opportunity or he begins to whisper things in your heart that he tells you that he wants you to do. Or you begin to feel a stirring in your heart to do something for God. And what's the first thing you want to do? You want to make excuses. Oh, I can't do that. I'm not qualified. I, I, don't, have a, I don't have a ministry degree. Uh, I, I can't do it. I'm not, I, I'm not qualified to do that. I, I, don't, I, I don't have the, the, the skill to do that. I'm just, not a, I'm just not a people person. I could never have the finances to do that. I, I, I've always been poor. We're always going to be poor. That's how my family's always been. We're never going to be able to do something like that for God or, 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 or step out like that. No. Folks, when God opens a door of opportunity... He's calling us to trust Him and step into that because He's wanting us to live a life that's going to echo in eternity when given the opportunity to change His situation. Gideon is here, he's oppressed, he's afraid, and God is giving him opportunity to change that situation by saying, step into it, bud. We're going to go kick some Midianite tail, all right? We're going to go run these guys out. You know the thing you're, you're, you're scared to do? The whole threshing the wheat and the wine press? You're not going to have to do that anymore. Is that kind of getting old? It's frustrating doing it that way. Yeah, because that's not the way you're supposed to thresh wheat. Let's do it the right way. Let's get back on the threshing floor and do it. But before we can thresh wheat the proper way, before we can get back to that sense of doing those things in public again, there's a problem that's got to be taken care of, and you're the guy that I have called to help take care of the problem. And instead of Gideon going, yay, the problem's about to be fixed, he reverts back to what he's heard before. He goes back to his script. So I want to ask you this morning, who has handed you 
that script of negativity, that script of, 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 of that fear-based life that you've been living, that you keep repeating every time opportunity comes up, every time God stirs something in you, or He begins to work something up in you that, that, that you feel this drawing towards, or you feel this leading towards, who's given you that script of negativity? Where did that come from? And why do you repeat it so quickly when opportunity comes? Because God wants you to see yourself like He sees you. Amen? God wants you to trust Him and believe that if He says something about you or says something uh, to you that He wants you to do, that you can rest and trust that He's going to do it. It just requires your obedience. It requires your obedience to step out and to do what He said that you are called to do. If you've been making excuses, it's time to stop with the excuses. It's time to stop delaying. It's time to step into the thing that God is calling you to do that's going to echo in eternity. But here's the thing about eternal echoes is that they happen in the seemingly insignificant. They happen in those small details of life. We get this idea that for me to make an impact, a kingdom impact, and to truly be living out God's kingdom agenda, then I have to be on some big grandiose stage. I have to have the attention of a lot of people looking my way. I have to have the attention of the masses, and I have to do something to get that attention. Otherwise, there, there's nothing that is going to be impact of any significance. And we think that it has to be this huge, huge thing. And oftentimes, there will even be frustrations in your life that you don't realize God can even work for His glory. I heard a story this past week. A guy actually came over to my house and told me this story. And I haven't seen this guy in probably two years. He just stopped by. He's a friend of mine. And he said... I want to share this story with you. And so I thought it would be very appropriate to share it with you. This guy, his name is Scott. And uh, he said that he became friends with this man on the internet named John. And this man named John was about 25 years his senior. And John lived in Japan. And they became friends through a friend, and they both kind of had similar humor styles, and so they would put jokes back and forth on Facebook, and that's what started their friendship, was their humor, which was really twisted humor. <laughs> and so he needed a special friend who would understand his humor, like most of us do, right? Um, but here they are just kind of sending jokes back and forth to each other on the internet, and all of a sudden, John realizes that Scott is computer savvy, and he says to him, he says, Hey, I, I'm living over here in Japan, and he was a missionary in Japan. Actually, John looked like Santa Claus, and his mission was he would dress up uh, uh, like Santa Claus, and he would go out and actually tell people about Jesus while looking like Santa Claus to these little Japanese kids. Pretty, pretty cool thing. But he said, I need a new computer for my ministry. He said, because I'm writing a book, I need a new computer. Hey, would you help me find one? He said, sure. So Scott finds him a computer. And he said, well, I really want a Mac because you're a Mac guy. I don't want a PC like everyone should want a Mac, right? Um, and he said, well, John, he said, not to be disrespectful, but 
you're getting on up there in age. You, a Mac is a completely different operating system. Do you really want to learn a whole new operating system? He said, if you say Mac's the best, I want a Mac. He said, okay. So John ends up buying the Mac, but guess what? He wants Scott to help him set it up. Scott is in Wisconsin. John is in Japan, and they were Skyping with each other. And here's Scott trying to help this older man figure out a brand new operating system. It took him three hours just to set up the machine to even be able to use it. Scott said it was one of the most frustrating things that he had ever done. He was going, what have I gotten myself into? This was just a guy that we had a similar humor style. Next thing you know, I've given myself a job, right? He took three hours one evening to help this guy set up, but it didn't stop there. No, no, no. John kept coming back to Scott when he would have computer problems because he didn't know what to do. So he said, this consumed the next six months of my life on and off. I would be afraid to get on Facebook because John would have a computer question. Every time he said he got on. So he had to actually take a break from Facebook, he said, because he was afraid that John was going to jump on there and just ask him a bunch of questions and he would have to spend the next hour working helping John fix his computer all the way in Japan. Well, John sends him a message a couple months later and says, hey, I've just finished my book on children's ministry, and I'm about to start doing seminars in Japan teaching other Japanese people how to do what I've done in children's ministry so they can reach the kids in Japan. I just finished my book, and I've also weaved in my book kind of my personal story as well, all the way from childhood to now and what God's done in my life. And so this is going to be a great teaching opportunity. We have all of these different conferences lined up where we're going to go travel around and we're going to actually share this book with these people. Would you mind looking over my book before I get it published? Scott said, sure, I'll look it over, but I'm just going to kind of thumb through it because I don't want to read your entire book because it was pretty lengthy because all these training materials. Scott gets the, the book from him because when he helped John to set up all of his computer stuff, John trusted him with all of his passwords for everything. Trusted him with his passwords for his Dropbox, for his iCloud, for all of his access to his computer stuff online. And so Scott had all this information. John said, just log on. You have my passwords and just read the book. A couple days later go by and he was actually going to shoot him a message. Scott was and say, hey, I, I thumbed through your book. I thought it was good. But he didn't get a response. And he said, that's weird. John lives online because he's an American in Japan. He's starving for friendship. And he used to always jump on this. It's really strange. And then a week goes by and he still hasn't heard back from him. And so Scott started to get worried about John. Scott began to email everyone he knew that was contacted to John. And nobody said, they said, we haven't heard from him either. Well, about two weeks go by and Scott gets a phone call from Japan from John's wife. John had passed away in a fire. Their entire home had burned down in the middle of the night, along with his MacBook, along with everything that he had written and all of the stuff that he was going to go teach these other children's ministers with. And here's his widow, just utterly just a mess after losing her husband and everything that they owned in their small home in Japan. She called Scott in tears. I'm sorry, but John has passed away. This is what happened. We lost everything. There's nothing that can be recovered. And she said, I don't know what I'm going to do. We have all of these conferences lined up. John was supposed to teach them, and we've lost his book. We've lost everything. John said, wait a minute. 
I've got the passwords. He said, I can get online and I can retrieve all that information for you right now. And so John gets on, I mean, so Scott gets online and he retrieves all of John's work, his life's work, and gives it all to his wife that instant. And then the woman said, uh, she contacted him a couple months later and said, I went and did all the conferences that we had lined up. Thank you so much for befriending John. It's not in the huge things that our lives echo in eternity, folks. It's in these little things. Sometimes in the frustrations. Sometimes in just being nice to someone who needs a little computer help. Sometimes you sitting and talking with that person in the break room. You don't know what God is setting up or orchestrating that's going to impact eternity. Because how many Japanese children are now going to hear the gospel and they're going to hear it when they were supposed to hear it because someone got trained, because someone wrote a book and somebody helped someone set up a computer. It's not this huge stuff that we think it is. It's not this big stuff that we make it out to be. It's in the seemingly insignificant things. It's in those moments where we're threshing wheat in the wine press that God calls us out. In Galatians verse, uh, chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, Don't get weary in well-doing. Don't get weary when God is calling you to love well. When God is calling you to serve well. Because you're wondering, I'm not seeing any change in this situation. It's not worth my investment. Really? Oh, what if Scott would have said, this is not worth my time? What if Scott would have just thrown his hands up in the air and said, forget it. He can go get some tech support. The Japanese people are extremely smart. Somebody can figure out a computer over there. But instead, he was patient. He took the time. He, 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 he helped him. Even through his frustration, he still helped him. Maybe God is putting people in your path that may be a little frustrating. Don't look at anybody. Maybe God is putting someone in your path that maybe isn't someone that you just absolutely love hanging out with all the time. And sometimes you kind of go, oh man, I got put on the work schedule with so-and-so. Oh boy. And it may not always be easy, but the way you interact with them could very well be making an eternal impact, but it's in all of the little things, not in that one huge big event. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? You see, it's in the little stuff, folks, where eternity is impacted, and that's where that echo comes from. When we live kingdom-minded, live eternally-minded, and we stay focused on who God has called us to be and doing what God has called us to do. And then we see what God can do when we look back throughout all of the, the timeline that has been created behind us. And we go, wow, I saw God here. I saw God here. I saw God here. I saw God here. And it's just absolutely incredible to see what God can do when we're willing to just continue to trust and obey but the thing that we don't need to do when we're living a life with a kingdom agenda is we don't need to compare to other people. Because you may even hear the story about Scott and John and go, Wow, I could never do anything like that. I don't even know how to turn a computer on. That's not the point. <laughs> 
It's not that you're going to end up being the next Billy Graham. It's not that you're going to end up being the next theologian or Bible scholar. It's not that you're going to be the, the, the next person that makes headline news in a good way. It's that you're doing what God has called you to do in the seemingly insignificant things, and you can't get caught up comparing yourself to other people because the comparison trap hinders your giftedness when you don't feel as special as someone else, when you don't feel like the gifts that God's given you matter as much as someone else's giftedness matters. Well, I'm just not as important as so-and-so because I don't have this or this or this or I can't do this or that. And we begin to compare ourselves to other people. It actually hinders your own giftedness. God is the one that judges what we do on this earth. So shouldn't our goal be to please Him instead of to impress someone else? Shouldn't our goal be to please Him and just obey Him and not go, wow, I'm not up on a stage. Wow, I'm not on TV. Wow, I'm, I'm not making headlines. Wow, I don't have a cool story like Scott does with John. It's not about that. It's not about trying to compare yourself. It's about you staying in your lane, doing what God's called you to do, and being faithful in that, that when he says, come up out of the wine press, that you come out of the wine press, no matter if anyone notices or not. Amen? Because every single one of the soldiers that came behind Gideon to help deliver the, Midian, deliver the Israelites from the hand of Midian, every one of those soldiers were just as important. There had, each one of them soldiers had to have mamas, didn't they? Amen, somebody? Uh, their mamas had to feed them, had to take care of them. And, and then I'm sure a lot of those soldiers had wives. Amen? I'm sure that those soldiers had some type of support system in their own home. I'm, I'm sure that they had someone training them. You see, all of these people in their lives were just as important. It didn't matter if they were the soldier. It didn't matter if they were at the front of the pack or if they were at the back. Everyone had an impact that was echoing in eternity because they were doing what God had created them to do. So it's not about comparing. It's not about you looking at someone else's giftedness. It's about you doing what God has called you to do and allowing Him to be the one that you strive to please. Amen? Everything that echoes in eternity, everything starts as an opportunity. Everything that echoes in eternity starts as an opportunity. It's always about you recognizing the opportunity, and you may not realize the scale of what God's wanting to do through you at the time. You may not recognize what exactly God is working in you by the way that you parent your children and how the way you parent your children is going to actually echo in eternity. That you don't realize that you actually taking that finance class and learning how to manage your finances and then God works in you a greater heart of generosity that actually goes all over the world that enables some missionary somewhere to reach some unreached people group or to save a life of someone. You don't realize the scope and the span of that. But because you decided to take a finance class and learn how to better manage your money, actually it's just an opportunity in the beginning, and you don't see what the far reaches of that opportunity have. You just need to see the opportunity and move forward in it. Amen? You don't know what you strengthening your marriage is going to do to your coworkers or the people around you or your other family members or your own children. But when you begin to take advantage of the opportunity that's in front of you and you invest in that opportunity, all of a sudden the echo begins. And the echo gets bigger the further away that it gets. The echo gets bigger the further away that it gets. 
And it begins to be this ripple effect of your life that begins to touch areas you never knew or anticipated or could have planned to have touched. Because that's the sovereign hand of God moving in your life to use the things that you have been through, the things that you're going through, and the things that you're going to go through for His glory. That's God taking your life and doing something great with it by you just simply saying, Here I am, Lord. I'm going to move past the fear. I'm going to get out of the wine press. I'm going to move past what everyone else has been telling me and the script I've been regurgitating. And I'm going to seize the opportunity because everything that echoes in eternity starts as an opportunity. God presented Gideon with opportunity and at first he had excuses and he was pessimistic. It took him a while to believe that God was indeed with him. And I know that every one of us have the same struggle. That's why I love that God uses people just like me and you in Scripture to help us to see the types of people that he wants to use. It wasn't this guy that was like training. You know, it wasn't like he was in the, in the wine press, you know, like lifting, you know, 400 pounds and he was getting ready. Midianites, they're not going to they're not gonna be able to handle this. Oh, yeah. The Midianites ain't going to be able to handle the pythons. He wasn't in there. He said, I'm the weakest. And the smallest, we're no good. And that's who God says, perfect. You're the one I pick. Amen? (laughs) Moses, the guy that couldn't talk very good, had all these excuses. God said, perfect. That's, that's That's the one I pick. The fishermen, the fishermen who had issues, God said, that's, that's the one I pick. You see, every one of us need to recognize that God is setting opportunity in front of us. But to move past the fear and the insecurity, your reason has to be bigger than your obstacle. Your reason has to be bigger. The reason why you get out of the wine press has to be bigger than the wine press. Has to be bigger than the fear that puts you in that hole the thing that calls you out, that causes you to begin to recognize, yeah, I do need to seize this opportunity. I do need to be faithful in this area. I do need to step up here and I need to step up there and I need to live a life that's going to echo in eternity. It takes you seeing something bigger. Your reason has to be bigger. So what are you going to do today that's going to echo in eternity? What are you going to do today that's going to echo in eternity? What, what have you been making excuses for and avoiding that God is showing you today as yet another opportunity? Because sometimes you'll come here to church and you'll hear a message and the Holy Spirit will be working something in your heart. And you'll just say, oh, I was just in the moment. The music was right. The... I, I, I was just at church, and we walk out and we abandon that stirring that God is doing in us. What if instead of abandoning the stirring, all right, it's a crazy thought, all right? What if instead of abandoning the stirring that God is doing in your heart now, you saw it as an opportunity and you acted on it? If you truly did what God is stirring in you now, the things you've been thinking about throughout this message, the things that the the Holy Spirit has been kind of bubbling up inside of you that 
has made this message really personal to where you feel like, Pastor Derek, you're talking directly to me. No, I'm not. The Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit of God is talking directly to you. He's doing it through His Word, and He's trying to help you to see some things. And those things that you've been thinking about throughout this message, almost like, does He have my house tapped? Is there, I'm going to go home and check for wires and cameras and stuff. If you're feeling that way, then that's not Pastor Derek. That's the Holy Spirit trying to show you this is your opportunity. What if instead of just feeling that feeling, what instead of just sensing that and, and recognizing that, what if we actually seized the opportunity? What if we actually did the thing that God is stirring you to do right now? Yeah, I know you're going to be afraid. Yeah, I know that your self-talk is probably going to be negative that's going to want to come out. But I know that the God who's calling you to get out of the wine press is bigger than whatever someone else has handed you. Amen? I know the God who's calling you out of the wine press is bigger than whatever fear or insecurity that you may be holding on to. I know that the God that's calling you out of the wine press is bigger than whatever junk that life has handed you. And it's your opportunity. It's just another opportunity. What are you going to do with that opportunity? What could be echoing in eternity that you have been viewing as meaningless frustration? What's that thing that you've been going, oh, that person again, or oh, that situation again, or oh, here it goes, got to put on my happy face. What's that situation that if you would allow God to tune your heart to correctly serve that person, that God could use that situation to make ripples in eternity with. Everything that echoes in eternity brings glory to God. It all brings glory to God. So it's God, not my agenda, but your kingdom agenda. It's God, not my will, but your will. God, help me be obedient to that still small voice, that stirring that you're doing in me this morning. That stirring that you're wanting me to rise up out of this stuff. And you're wanting me to move forward. God, help us see what you've called us to do. Help us to live with a greater sense of purpose other than our own sense of extending our personal pleasure and comfort. So we can have a reason that outweighs the obstacles that come. So we can have a reason that outweighs the trial and the pain. And our reason keeps us focused and keeps us moving forward. I pray that we're a church full of people who live with God's kingdom agenda in mind, that our desire lines up with his desire, that we submit to his will, that we say, God, not my will, but your will. Amen, church. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.